Hello. Welcome to this month's episode of Found Sounds, the podcast where the theme song changes every episode. Now, before we get to our featured artist, Lauren Pacroduni, I want to make a quick ask of you to uh, support the podcast in some way. You could share something on social media. Um, you could tell a friend. You could subscribe wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. And you could also support us at our Patreon page if you look us up on Patreon. Um, we have a couple people supporting monthly. Uh, that currently helps me uh, pay... Uh, the mixing and mastering engineer, Connor O'Neill, who does a really great job uh, to help make the podcast sound great. Um, you know, I'm trying to do something to help support the Philly music scene. And if you think that's a valuable thing, I would uh, I would love your, your financial support there. Um, but on to the, um, the reason we're here, which this month is Lauren Pacroduni. Um, I first ran into Lauren's music at an art gallery, actually, because she is a visual artist. Um, as a visual artist, she has an impressive resume with several solo exhibitions, uh, including the Print Center in Philadelphia, and has been awarded fellowships and residencies by uh, University of Texas at Austin, the Women's Studio Workshop, uh, Kimmel Harding, Nelson Center of the Arts, and uh, VCU. She also teaches at the collegiate level. But uh, Lauren has uh, been creating experimental music under monikers such as PAC and Tether since 2006. Um, song forms and soundscapes are composed through the layering of handmade uh, record cassette tape loops and various electronics. Her work emphasizes the slippage of form between the truly physical vestiges of ruins and the fantastical of half-rendered computer-generated imagery. We're going to open the podcast with a piece off of her album Flight, which was released in 2020, uh, April of 2020. Uh, this is called Ask Me.
Hey, Lauren. Hi. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. It's a pleasure. That was exciting. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, what I'm curious about, like, what your, like, inspiration for those sounds are, like, what's your relationship with, like, finding those sounds is? Yeah. I mean, the the whole process kind of starts with making the loops themselves, mm-hmm. um, which I'm hand-cutting cassette tape. So I'm kind of predetermining the length, the duration mm-hmm. of the loops. So it's kind of a mixture of responding to the duration of the length in terms of recording sound onto those loops, as mm-hmm. well as then making other loops based off of how those are kind of forming. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I guess it's like a, a little bit like the impetus is like one loop that kind of guides the process of kind of arranging some mm-hmm. kind of system, some structure. Cool. Yeah. The uh, it's funny when I f- I first listened to your to this album back in October, I think, when you uh, you were on a a top ten list for Bandcamp. Um, and I like, wasn't that like, since then I've like become really fascinated with cassettes. So I'm curious about where, uh, the like cassettes like came into the picture for you and why they're interesting. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, um, my dad's dyslexic and he used to have a handheld recorder that he would use to practice mm-hmm. these like sales pitches for uh, cooker cooler equipment. It's like big food <laughs> processing equipment. Yeah. Um, and so we always had this like kind of fancy recording. It was like a um, Radio Shack Walkman that had the adjustable speed and all of that, which mm-hmm. I started out playing music using those. Um, but I just, the fact that you could have this device that you could record onto and kind of construct your own thing was really interesting to me as a kid. Um, and then, like, later on when I was in college, I took a sound art class and realized mm. that a lot of musicians had the same sort of revelation that cassette, whether it be, you know, the type of cassettes that I'm using or just reel-to-reel tape or otherwise, right. kind of afforded the space to, like, stretch out and expand that recording process because mm-hmm. it's like much more accessible rather mm. than something that had to be in these like big fancy recording studios. Right. So I guess it's kind of like uh, becoming my own sort of producer by having all of this cassette that I can work with and kind of yeah. make these arrangements like a little bit separated from it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I love bringing up cassettes to folks nowadays who like aren't, you know, obviously there's a lot of artists like putting music out on cassettes now. Yeah. But for you bring it up to some people and they think you're a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, is also an enjoyable part about it. I mean, that's part of the reason why I started with cassette was because it was the thing that was being discarded, like all of the recording equipment and things, like at the moment in which I was kind of assembling what I wanted to do in terms of making my own music, mm-hmm. that's like when people would just hand me a four track and just be like, yeah, I don't use this anymore. I'm into this whole new like digital recording thing. Right. You can go ahead and have that. Whereas now it would be people would be like, fork over some money, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to like get this or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's interesting, like, kind of being a part of that shift where it was, like, the trash, and now it's, like, 
something, the equipment is something that's desirable. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is pretty interesting. Yeah. Every, it seems like a, a lot of things historically have like comebacks, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but the only sad part of this is that with a comeback means that then there's like a downfall again and usually things don't have like a third, <laughs> third cycle. But I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. The cassette's last stand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Um, so another piece you sent me was Celtic Crash. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that before we have a listen? Sure. Uh well, I think all three tracks that maybe I would put at the top of the list in mm-hmm. terms of listening are these songs from this album that I put out this past year. Yeah. Um, and tried to give a range of experiences because the album itself kind of has sort of maybe three different modes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some are a little bit more trying to seek out and carve space and kind of like allow things to be a bit more atmospheric mm-hmm. or at least like maybe venturing away from melody or what if we that maybe feels generous to call anything melodic <laughs> but um yeah so i think like just trying to give a range of that experience for our lovely listeners cool here we go Thank you. 
really nice to get the loops definitely get an like a little meditative quality yeah even if it's you know eccentric i it uh it feels feels nice i mean it's interesting sometimes your brain just like pulls out one loop to just kind of yeah and the song could be kind of very or the song could be very different depending on what thing you're kind of attached to because there might be something that's like really grating to someone and they're like i want to never hear that sound right, again. I need to, I need to leave. <laughs> Versus like, I don't know, coming out of it whistling something. Yeah. But So we were talking about beforehand, you perform, perform these sort of pieces live. Yeah. What was interesting about this album was that there was a lot of it that was figured out in live performances, mm. like playing the same sort of rotation or like sequence of loops Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of finalizing it as the recording because what happens is the loops start to degrade and kind of fall apart and like once I realize that that's 
taking place, it's like, okay, this is like when I they, need to record it while it's still crisp. I see. So they're like they're like degrading because you're like transferring them from one tape to another, and or like you're just like from ultra- the just from the wear of being played because mm. the the there's different stress on the acetate because it's just one. Mm-hmm continuous loop Mm, so i see like in my experience what's happened the most is just like physical stretch of the and then what happens is like some of the metal starts to like fly off of wow the i mean and there's musicians whose music is or like recently have made whole uh albums of that kind of deterioration right Um, so so for folks that like aren't super like understanding the mechanics of like the tape loops is like their physical uh physical the physical tape is deteriorating because and because you're making small loops they're not they're not playing like the 30 minutes of the tape you're yeah. making you're making small loops of the tape so they play it plays a lot many more times than it normally would have yeah i mean if you i mean i definitely had favorite tapes when i was listening to tapes before tapes were cool. <laughs> um, but listening to tapes in a car, like the one that I would leave in my car and just flip back and forth. At one point in time, I had one of those stereos in a car where it just would automatically flip the tape. Wow. And those tapes would get so worn out because they're right. just constantly playing for, right. you know. And what happens over time is it just like Dolly Parton stops sounding like Dolly Parton. <laughs> and it's like this really blasted out kind of hiss over top of interesting um and that could be like scratches on the surface as well as just the material kind of breaking down yeah um, so when you perform this live how many um how many uh four tracks are we talking about i've i've kind of stuck to using three live mm-hmm. um but recently i went Recently, that's funny. It wasn't recent at all. <laughs> um, about a year ago, I played a lot, like a live streaming thing, um, mm-hmm. and it was actually physically at a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and in transport, one of my four tracks had an accident. Um, I don't know what it was, but it didn't work when I showed when up. <laughs> so I had Got to quickly reconfigure the entire set with oh the two players that I did have. Right. Which was like interesting trying to figure out like, okay, knowing these loops and like what I was intending to do with these, how am I going to like sequence this so that yeah. it behaves more or less the way that I wanted it to. Right. I was so disappointed though. Because uh, I was like because you had spent so much time. Yeah. They'd yeah. like been practicing this one set and like thinking through. Um oh, I don't know. But it worked out fine. Cool. That's the nature of experimental music. It's very <laughs> forgiving. Yeah. Um, let's listen to, I picked out, you added, you sent me another song and what, what did I pick out? Mirror Finish. This oh, is, yeah. this is not off the last album, right? Yeah, this is, I'm really slow. So this is the album I released before the one that we've been listening to. Um, cool. Yeah. This was like maybe five years ago now. Yeah. 2016. It says here. but if it was recorded then it was maybe it was like you were working on it the you know year or two before then yeah most likely
Remember what that last little sound was? Which one? That little singy. Oh, yeah, that's sped up me. You singing? Yeah. Cool. But probably, like, sometimes I'll use the tape speed manipulation. Mm-hmm. So, right. I prob- what probably happened is I recorded myself mm-hmm. and then sped it up and recorded that recording. Mm hmm. Cool. And might even be manipulating it after that. But some of this, it's like, it just gets kind of lost. And it's like, okay, this thing, this loop becomes this thing. And I like kind of forget exactly how I constructed that. Sure, yeah. Because it's like, then that becomes too much of a tangle of the history of all of the loops. Mm -hmm. And then, but once they all kind of find each other and they're like a part of like some sequence, then it just becomes... The relationship that way, mm, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Does 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 this music interact with your visual art at all? I think. I mean, I'm primarily a printmaker, or make use of printmaker logic, which mm-hmm. is layering, um, like abstracted thinking in terms of putting th- something through a process where there's like stages of it where you have less control, right? Mm-hmm which is like very similar to effects and yeah. manipulation and in and, and sound. Yeah. Um, but mostly the whole repeating aspect of things too, like finding mm-hmm. like images, textures, otherwise that just kind of like, mm. and maybe like the singing is kind of the images and right. like more of the abstracted sound is like textures, right? Right. But yeah, I think there's like a lot of correlation in terms of yeah. like how I process things. Like usually it's starting with one sort of fragment and then kind of sussing that out into something that has right. a little bit more body to it. Cool. Um, so we have a thing to end the podcast where I ask we call it the double I call it the double time section. Okay. And I have to see Usually I do it with those questions in front of me, and I'm going to see if I can do them off the top of my head because I have to like go digging my computer oh, to so find them. So it's like them. a quadruple challenge then. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, first question I remember is, what's your favorite venue to perform at? Favorite venue? Um, right now I'm still kind of missing the basements. The basements. The basements of all of yes. that, because I've been in many basements. Yeah, I bet. Um but yeah, I think basements kind of offer this thing where it's like people are making space for music and whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. venue makes sense. But 
I think you like a basement more when it's contrasted with maybe an experience that's something a bit more polished mm -hmm. and sort of controlled sound, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I appreciate a really, really good PA. So it's kind of more, <laughs> it's more like, how good's your PA? I like that space. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I identify with that. Um, but I hope all the spaces I love are still here in Philly. Yeah. But we'll absolutely. see. Yeah. What about like a dream venue to play? A dream venue? Ooh, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> um, I don't know. I played on a double-decker bus here in Philadelphia, and I didn't think that that was going to be a dream venue, but that was, That's that pretty was cool. really incredible. That's really cool. Um, so I feel like it's, it's those types of things where it's right. like it's, it's something I don't even know about yet. Mm -hmm. That's going to mm. be the dream venue for sure. Nice. And um, if you could eat dinner with any musician or, oh. or you know, and, we, and I guess... Tony Conrad. Yeah, who's <laughs> yeah. who's Tony Conrad? Um, well, he's many things. Um, he's a filmmaker, musician, okay. um, and just an incredible thinker. Um, just creatively, philosophically, like just across the board. But he made this film. Um, I think it must have been in the seventies, where he processed a film as if it was a curry. Um, yeah, it was like a, a dish that he was familiar with making. So he like sauteed some onions with spices and then threw the film directly into the pot and then cooked the whole thing. So I just feel like his relationship with food yeah. could be kind of interesting to have a meal. I'm imagining him, he's no longer living, but I was right. imagining um, him preparing something. Nice. And maybe we, we just look at it, we don't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine by me. There's a really good um, uh, show of his work at the ICA. Cool. Uh, here. Right now? Um, it was maybe like, maybe right before the gotcha. pandemic. Cool. Um, but there was a few interactive pieces and things like that there. It was nice. incredible. And if you were to make music with one person throughout history, who would that be? Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so bad at questions. That's okay. Um, you don't have to know. We maybe who would I want to make music with? I don't. It's. I think that's really tricky because I usually make music by myself, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like breaking a lot of rules all at once. Oh, rules um, for yourself. Well, I mean, uh, I'm just. I have collaborated with people and have really enjoyed and really benefited from those experiences. Yeah. But it's been so it's been so long. Right. But now I'm like kind of How does that happen? Yeah. 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 So I don't think I have an answer to that, but I love collaborations and cool. Yeah. If I could reach across time, that opens it up too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last part of our double time is I asked you to listen to some of Molly Rose's music and I sent you a piece off her first EP voices called The Root. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Ooh, I like the title of that. I feel like that's kind of like what attracted to me to this song because it's, it's got this one component that kind of keeps you um, rhythmically like tied to the song, whereas there's also um, this much more lyrical kind of high sound of the violin, much more like recognizable, right? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of 
lay lay person's like, <laughs> relationship to violin. Yeah. But it's like the commingling of those two that is it's nice having those two very different ways of kind of constructing a song kind of yeah. um lap against one another. Mm-hmm. Um it's a real pleasure to listen to. Yeah, she she's makes beautiful music. So that's uh we have one last piece we're gonna listen to at the end of the podcast. Before we get there um, I'm going to put links to where folks can find you in the show notes, but where uh, where should folks look for your music and your artwork? Well, the next thing I'm doing is a performance through Bemis, which is in Nebraska. I won't be in Nebraska, though. It'll be a live stream that's going to happen July 8th. So I'm currently working on that set so that will be like a very full set. Cool. Um, so that's kind of the next place I'll virtually be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have music up under my name on Bandcamp mm-hmm. and probably somewhere else too. <laughs> but that might be really old. <laughs> but enjoy. <laughs> cool. And this last piece we're going to listen to is um, Born Out Of. Anything to say about Born Out Of before we listen? Um, Again, we're kind of back to that album released a year ago. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of it. I don't know. April 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Cool. Here it is.
thank you so much for listening. I'll be sure to leave links uh, so you can find Lauren online. I'll leave links in the show notes uh, so you can support her if you'd like and find out uh, other things that she has going on. Um, I want to give a quick reminder about our, our Patreon page. Uh, if you go to Patreon and search for Found Sounds with a PH, you'll find a little page there. You can get these episodes about a week early. Um, and there, there are some other perks there too. Uh, for I'm interested what folks think about all the perks that are there on the Patreon page. So even if you don't want, want to uh, commit financially, you know, have a look over there and see what they are and maybe let me know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy. Um, but I, I'd love for this podcast to be a way to directly supporting uh, musicians and artists here in Philly. Um, and that might be a way to do it. Um, last thing I'll say, I want to say thank you to Connor O'Neill for mixing and mastering the podcast. He does a great job. And up next month, we have Kayla Childs, and I'm really looking forward to interviewing her. And I know she has been cooking up some music for us, and um, I'm looking forward to see what she sends me for us to listen to next month. I hope to see you then. All right, bye-bye.